0: Song of Songs, Chapter 6, Gardens and Banners. Thank you, Devin. Well, just to bring you up to date a little bit, because we've taken about five or six weeks off from this series, I want to kind of let you know what's going on in the Song of Songs. We've been looking at two main characters for the past 17 weeks, um, a long time, because there's only, I think, what, eight chapters in the Song of Songs or nine chapters, Uh, eight chapters, so we're almost done. It might take 45 more weeks, but we're getting there. What we've been talking about is two main characters, the Shulamite woman, or the bride, and her beloved king, uh, uh, King Solomon. And what we've been discussing is that this picture of the Shulamite woman represents the church, or the bride of Christ, and the beloved represents King Jesus. The last time we talked about this, just to kind of bring you up to date, we saw that they had the, the, the Shulamite woman, the bride and the groom had finally come together, consummated the marriage and she was in the marriage bed and he went out and he came back in and he was knocking on the door. As the king knocked on the door, the Shulamite woman had every reason and excuse as to why she didn't want to get out of bed. She didn't go answer the door. And when she finally opened the door, the king was gone. We talked about how that we have to be ready to answer God's call and let him in, not at your convenience, but whenever he knocks. And one of the reasons why we tend to not answer the knock, if you will, when God is knocking on your door, when God's trying to get your attention, because we are, we've grown up in a religious society that says, you need to get ready so that you can respond to the knock. But that religion doesn't need to be a thing in the church. The church needs to understand is that if he's knocking at your door, he already sees you as ready. We've turned God is knocking on the door to you better get A, B, and C right so that you can be ready to answer the knock. God says, I'm knocking on the door because I'm ready to walk with you. I'm ready for you to walk with me wherever I say we're going to go. When God calls you to something, he already sees you as ready for whatever it is he's calling you to. Ready doesn't mean you know everything. Ready simply means you're willing to go there. When God called me into ministry and gave me a full-time position as a youth pastor and, and worship pastor, I had never led a worship team. I had never led a youth ministry. I only taught a few devotions, which were really bad. You, many, many of you have heard it, but I, I was asked to, to, to give a, a 20 to 30 minute talk to the students and I did it in about 2 minutes and 30 seconds. I was very nervous. I couldn't do it, but I knew without a shadow of a doubt that when I was le- leaving a full scholarship that was pre-med to med, University of Georgia all the way to med school, when I left all that for a whopping salary of 14000 a year, I knew I was making the right decision that I was supposed to go into ministry even though I didn't know what the heck ministry was. You want to talk about nine years of celebration for Relentless. I remember when I accepted that job, it was at a charismatic church, and I didn't believe in any of the gifts of the Spirit. I didn't believe in anything as far as healing. I didn't believe in any of that, and I told them that. And about three months into it, I changed my mind very quickly. And now it's kind of cool because the pastor who I thought was crazy now calls me radical. So I feel like I've grown tremendously in the past, you know, 15 years of ministry. Never be scared to answer the knock on the door. God knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and how he wants to use you. Well, this woman, when she finally gets up and sees that he's gone, she starts to go look for the king, searching for him, longing for him. And at the end of the chapter, the people ask, why can't you just get another lover? You can't find the king. You're a beautiful woman. Go find someone else. And she describes how no one can replace him, that he's distinguished from all the rest. She starts listing all these traits of the king and that she has only learned through relationship. The question for tonight that I want to start with is, is your love for God distinguished? As you live your life, how do people see you? How are you identified? Do people see you as someone that won't settle for anything less than God, even though we live in a world with so many options? And when you live that life, you'll see that people actually start to respond in a certain way. So we're going to pick up in Song of Songs, chapter 6, and I'm going to read verse 1. Where has your lover gone, O woman of rare beauty? Which way did he turn so we can help you find him? Where has your lover gone, a woman of rare beauty, which way did he turn so that we can help you find him? After the woman, the the women hear her description of the beloved, the character, the appearance of her, these women want to know, I want to know where this man is too. They said, we want to help you find him. Because there was something distinguished in her searching and yearning for the king that they wanted to understand, they wanted to be a part of. They said, we see how you go after him. We see how no one can replace him. We want to see exactly what you are so immersed in. And I believe one of the issues in the church is we have turned evangelism into go out and preach the word to a people who don't want to hear it. When it should be, live a life that is so distinguished where they start asking you what is so different. Yeah. They go to this woman not under, never meeting the king or wanting to know the king. They wanted to find the king because they saw how she longed for him. And I believe evangelism today, which is, should be a restored evangelism, is a people hearing and seeing and identifying a people that are so passionate for God, they want to figure out where, what is this passion all about and what is it for. Revival in the church is going to come when a people get passionate in pursuit of God again. We've turned church into a southern thing that we need to do once a week to make ourselves feel better about the crappy lives we live. Is that too honest? This needs to become, I am a son or daughter of the Most High, and I want nothing more to be in His presence and to learn what I am supposed to do as that son or daughter. It's a passionate pursuit of God. Luke 19.10 says this, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. We read that scripture and we think that it's only talking about lost people. There's actually some translations that actually read, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. But it's actually more accurately said, seek and save that which was lost. I want to turn your attention. It's not going to be up on the screen, but you can leave that up there. In the verses prior to verse 10, I want to set this up right. A few verses before, Jesus actually goes into the home and has dinner with a very notorious sinner named Zacchaeus. And Jesus, through the conversation, proclaimed that Zacchaeus was saved. Because when Zacchaeus was, you know, the the wee little man was he, climbed up in a tree and and was going after to see who this Jesus was, when Jesus brought him into into dinner, into Zacchaeus' home, by the end of the dinner, Jesus said he's saved because he's admitted he's wrong, he's offered to right his wrongs, pay back who he cheated, and give half of his wealth to the poor. Why did Zacchaeus come to that revelation after dinner? He was willing to right his wrongs. He apologized. He repented. He said, I'll give half of my earnings to the poor. Why did he come to this revelation? Because there was such a searching for what was lost that the lost were being saved. And what was lost was this passionate pursuit of God outside temple worship practice. Zacchaeus was used to people going to temple worship. Didn't change him at all. But when he was in the tree, and when he saw all these people following Jesus, seeing what Jesus was doing, seeing what was different about him, he said, I have got to get to know that man. Not once did anyone have to say, Zacchaeus, you're lost, you're going to hell, you need Jesus. He saw a passionate pursuit of someone called the Messiah. And because Zacchaeus saw a passionate pursuit of someone called the Messiah, he said, I want to get to know him. And through relationship... What was lost even in Zacchaeus more than salvation? What was lost is being restored. What was lost, he had much so that he could give. He was blessed to be a blessing. He saw a passionate pursuit, which was causing all that had been lost to be restored. And just like the, these women of Jerusalem wanted to see what this Shulamite was fussing about. What's been lost, they said. What's been lost, that he is searching for. What's been lost is a passionate pursuit of the beloved. So when these women are saying, let's go find him, she actually knows exactly where he is, which is strange. Because in the last chapter, when he went knocking, do y'all remember what she did? She started running around the streets looking for him and couldn't find him. She even got hurt in the process by local bystanders. This time, when they're seeing this passionate pursuit, man, like, you are not settling, this is your lover, you're not taking anything else but him, you want him, you, you can see him figuratively, you can describe him. What is it about this that you love him so much? They're like, we, we want to understand what this is. She says, oh, I know where he's at, because I've already been there. And this is where I'm going to dance a little bit tonight, and I'm going to get excited about Song of Solomon 6, verse 2 through 3. She says, My lover has gone down to his garden. Someone shout garden. Garden. My lover has gone down to his garden, to his spice beds, to browse in the gardens and gather the lilies. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. Some of you have heard that said, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. She knows what they need because she's already been there. She says, I am my beloved's. My beloved is mine. I know where he is because I have been there with him, and I am with him right now in spirit. In the last chapter, she goes out frantically searching in the city. She was even harmed in her pursuit. But when she thought when she thought about how wonderful her beloved was, where he might be, She figured it out and knew the answer. Because she didn't waste time trying to search him in the streets, she started to realign her thinking. She started to remember, where would my beloved be? I have been with him. I've had relationship with him. Where would he be that I know where he's at? And the church has taught people to go searching him out, not understanding that he is actually all around us. The key is not go find the beloved. The key is to realign your thinking and to understand that your beloved is right here, right now with you. She realizes he has gone to the what? The garden. Garden from the Hebrew Ghana literally translates a covered or hidden place. My lover, my beloved has gone to the secret place, the covered place. It also literally means "to surround." So this truelamite woman, when she says, "My beloved has gone to the garden," we need to understand where God is is in a hidden place that surrounds us everywhere. Y'all hearing this? Where is God? He's not in a church. He is everywhere, hidden to the normal eye. Gardens provided food. This gardens in the scripture, maybe not today, all the time. Gardens provided food, water. They were a place that was beautiful to the eye. And they were a place that guarded and protected people that where they could escape to or even dwell. They even had people build houses in gardens. In other words, all you need was found in the garden: food, water, Beauty to the eye, joy, sustenance, a place to protect. It was a hidden place. It surrounded. All you need was found in the garden. All you need is found in a hidden place that surrounds you. All you need is in a hidden place that surrounds you. The human condition is always trying to figure out how do I meet my needs. I want to be happy. I don't want to worry. I'm tired of living this life. I'm tired of going here. I'm tired of going there. Where can I get to where I can find peace, joy, prosperity, uh, freedom from the issues of life? Where is it? He says it's in the garden. And the garden's everywhere. It surrounds you. And it's hidden. Are y'all following this? How can a hidden place surround you? Hidden does not mean I've got to find it. Hidden means open your eyes to a reality all around you that you cannot see until you realign your thought life. Let me read that again. Hidden does not mean I've got to find it. Hidden means open eyes to a reality that is all around us that we can't see. Until we realign our thinking. If all you see is a fallen world, you need to realign your mind to, all I see is a garden. Because when you start to see a fallen world as a garden, that's when you'll actually want to start cultivating it. The condition of the local church is the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus, come back. We're tired of being here. Why does Jesus want to come back? I want to make my garden beautiful again. And he says, I have put you here. I've left you behind already. I have saved you. (laughs) I have empowered you. I have, put gifts of the, I have put the Holy Spirit in you. I have given you all you need for you to go and spread the gospel of the kingdom, heal disease, cast out demons, all of these things. How do we do that? Not with the mentality of I'm sick of being here. Not with the mentality of this world is going to hell. Not with a mentality of I can't stand seeing this, the, you know, Savannah go backwards and Savannah get to this. No, no. Realign your thinking with all I see is what's around me. It's a garden. And when you start seeing through the eyes of this is a garden, you want to start taking care of the garden that surrounds you. It's, re- it's really quiet in here, but are y'all, is this sinking in? Okay. You will begin to tend and cultivate the garden in a new way because you no longer see death. You see worth. You see potential. And that's exactly what Jesus saw in you. He didn't say, well, you're going to hell. I'm not going to do anything. He saw what you're supposed to be. So he paid a price to get you back. Colossians 3.3. You died to this life and your real life is what? Hidden with Christ our God. You died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And yet, for some reason, we carry ourselves and our attitudes and even our pursuit of God according to what we do see and according to our conditions or even how our week went. But your real life is not in the conditions of a fallen world. Your real life is hidden in a relationship with the beloved, And when people begin to see and hear about your longing for him, they'll want to join you in searching out hidden things because they're going to want to find them too. The church complains too much about conditions when we're the gardeners that were redeemed to cultivate bad condition to bring out beautiful garden. I'll read this in Mark chapter 4 verses 21 through 22. Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or under a bed? Anybody? No. Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. Leave this up here. For everything that is hidden, no, the one I'm reading, verse 22, for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret secret will be brought to light. Everything that's hidden will eventually be brought into open. Every secret will be brought to light. We've been taught this is about secret sin you haven't confessed. Can I challenge that tonight a little bit? What if it's about the light in that you are lighting up hidden garden? Sin or striving is the basket hindering you from seeing hidden things. Everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open. Every secret will be brought to light. What secret? What everything? Everything that's all around you that is hidden in Christ. Light is knowledge. Why does he call us to be a lampstand to bring light to open up the darkness? Not, oh yeah, when a Christian goes into the room, your sins are going to be revealed. Jesus already knows your sins. That's a confession you need to make. What is light meant to do? Bring out hidden things that our natural eye cannot see. Like when the light of God goes into your family, instead of focusing on what has been wrong with your family, you see potential you want to cultivate. Because when you went into that broken family, light just came into the room. Can I go even deeper? Churches that are starting to reach out. When I see churches that are hurting or broken, I don't see lost cause. I see beautiful garden that needs to be tended to. When I see lost people, I don't condemn them because they worship Satan. What do I do? I look at, there is something in you this world needs, and I want to bring it out. Because everything, even though I said leave it up, it's not up there, everything that is hidden will be brought into open. Every secret, thank you, Joe, will be brought to light. We are all, everything is hidden in Christ. The garden is hidden in Christ. The very next verse Jesus even says, the closer you listen, you will receive more understanding. What understanding? The kingdom. What is the kingdom? The garden that is present. Can I go further? Yeah, please. I want to read verse 2 again. My lover has gone, this is the next verse, Psalm song of Solomon 6.2. My lover has gone down to his garden, to his spice beds, to browse in the garden and gather the lilies. My lover has gone to his garden. Who is the lover? Jesus has gone to his garden, to his spice beds. Everyone say garden. Garden. Everyone say spice. Spice. Everyone say gather the lilies. lilies. Watch this. John 19, 40 through 41. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of Jesus to bury. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a... And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Do you realize what just happened? Jesus, the beloved, went to a garden where we saw a grave to gather lilies, which in Luke 12, we see that the lilies of the field are us. See, this is actually a picture in Song of Songs of the beloved going to the garden to gather us. And the Shulamite woman understood it. She said, I'm with him because he went to the place that I was lost in. Just just listen online because I don't know what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) He he went to the place, the garden, and she, she was with him because she went to the place that she was lost in. He went to the garden, literally covered in spices, just like the beloved, to gather the lilies. Jesus came to gather that which was lost. Adam was entrusted to do two things, cultivate and govern the garden. What garden? Garden of Eden. Adam fell in the garden and sin banished him, which caused the garden to be covered and hidden. But it's, now, now this is where I'm going to push some theology because I saw something today. I never push theology. It's not that we can never enter the covered and hidden garden. Let's be even more bold. The hidden garden of what? Eden. It's we enter through a relationship with our beloved to bring us from a garden known for sin to a garden known as heaven. The garden is guarded with angels holding flaming swords. But we've missed something. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The sword did not stop them from getting into garden. It prevented them from finding the tree of life. They were still in the garden, but it was no longer in plain sight. It was what? Hidden. Hidden. So a new tree of life is offered, and his name is Jesus. And he says, when you come through this tree of life, all things hidden are revealed in me. So you want to know where the Garden of Eden is? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. We are in the garden. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good stuff. If you don't think so, you know, find another church. He <laughs> he, <laughs> he guarded oh, I'm gonna regret that. He guarded the I won't. He guarded the way to the tree of life, not the garden. We enter garden reality, heaven on earth, through relationship with the beloved, the truth, the way, the tree of life that we can eat from. And when you begin to enter in hidden garden realities, there's a response from the king. Look at verse 4. You are beautiful, my darling, like the lovely city of Terza. Yes, as beautiful as Jerusalem, as majestic as an army with billowing banners. Even though... There was a disruption in their relationship. Her not answering the knock in chapter 5 and searching all the wrong places, it did not change how the beloved viewed her. And yet we've been taught we've got it wrong and God needs us to get right so he can love us again. But there was not even a hiccup in this relationship. When she aligned her mind with garden realities, he welcomed her and didn't say, you should have answered the knock. He said, You're beautiful. Make no mistake and rebuke religion that tells you anything otherwise. When you walk back to garden realities, this is the king's welcome. You're beautiful. You see, Terza and Jerusalem were beautiful cities. Terza was a capital known for its, its beauty. Jerusalem was a city that represented God and man dwelling together. You are beautiful. You are my desire. You are where I want to be and who I want to be with. And yet the church is scared God's going to be mad at us. God is wrath. But wrath is designed to bring you back to a dwelling place. You see, we get wrath mixed up. The wrath of God, he wants to destroy everything. No, 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 no. How do you get new things to grow in a forest? You burn it down. It, wrath is, it is for beauty. So when you're going through trials and tests in life, it's, it's a celebration that I'm getting ready for new growth. Right? Because I don't see my stuff being burnt down. I see I'm entering to deeper garden revelation. The beloved says, I see you as as majestic as an army with billowing banners. That was the response. After all this time of searching and getting it wrong, when she got her thinking right, wow, there's garden reality. I know where he is, and I'm with him. In a moment, he said, I see you as an army with billowing banners. What, billowing banners, what's that all about? After God delivered his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt, they spent time wandering in the wilderness. Eventually, they were attacked by a group called the Amalekites. For as long as Moses held out the staff from God, the Israelites would win the battle. How many of you know what happened when he got tired and the staff dropped? They were starting to gain the upper hand. The Amalekites would. Well, ultimately, Moses had some friends that came by to hold his arms up, So that the Israelites got victory. That's a whole other teaching, but let me just say this. When people get tired, don't call them out because they're backsliding. Go help hold their arms up. That's a word for some people in this church who look at me like that. Oh, yeah. Boom. Mic drop. We've got to help hold each other's arms up because it's natural to get fatigued. So when you see a fellow believer starting to fall backwards in life, instead of rebuking their fall, go hold up their arms. Because it's only when the arm's up that you get victory. Yet the church rebukes people getting tired. The church rebukes people that seem like they're going backwards. We've got to stand by our brothers and help them. I don't know who that was for, but there you go. This miraculous win brought a new understanding of God's character and prompted Moses to build an altar. And this is what Moses said in verse 15. Moses built an altar and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. You see, the banner was to set up a standard to look at and behold. It was a banner giving glory to everything that God's doing. I wonder what banner do you raise and what standard are you known for? Isaiah 59, 19 says something that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Holy Spirit, as we've been talking about, is always likened to wind. The winds of the spirit. When the Spirit was revealed in the upper room, there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind through the room. God says, I see my beloved as an army, a people, not just with a banner, but banners blowing in the wind, billowing. The standard is raised up by the Spirit. See, when you raise up a standard according to the leading of the Spirit, that's how you win battles. When you raise up a standard according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that's how you win battles. The enemy, let me say it like this. The enemy has come in like a flood in America. Who would agree with that? And we're arguing over the right politician instead of seeking God in such a way that results in the church moving and identified as a standard that the enemy doesn't stand a chance with. I've been guilty of this in the past. Getting on Facebook and we need to vote for this person, vote for that person. Why are we seeking answers in a fallen system? Am I going to vote for a certain one? Absolutely. But why, are we, why, is, why do we think the answer lies in a politician? The answer lies in Ecclesia. And if we would get lost in passionate pursuit of God... The, the, the way the politicians will rule is when they see something working that doesn't work for them and they, and they get up in a tree and say, can I have dinner with y'all? <laughs> y- y'all, following when, y- y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah. There's got to be a passionate pursuit in an ecclesia, a g- group of people that governing authorities start to take note in. Uh, I'm not going to get into it Because I think he's going to share it, but Pee Wee shared something. Can I share that thing? Yeah? Okay, cool. I'm going to do it anyways. (laughs) Pee Wee shared something with me that the Lord showed him this week that I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. It was talking about Joseph. He gained such favor with Pharaoh that Pharaoh looked at Joseph and said, You're going to run everything. I'm going to submit to your authority until it's time for me to do what only I can do and be Pharaoh, be a king. You realize what happened? Pharaohs are prideful. They did whatever the heck they wanted. And they saw such favor on a man named Joseph that he brought him up and said, You're going to run everything. The authority was given to the right man through a government official who saw something that he did not have. You want favor at work? Do they hear your complaint or do they see your pursuit? You want favor in your family? You want to start seeing your family change? Are you going to complain that that they doubt you or are they going to see a passionate pursuit? Do they expect an argument or do they expect a blessing? Okay. See, the thing about banners is that banners are always visible. They're seen. They're unmistakable. They cannot be ignored. Banners are for those who see them, not just the ones that hold them. When a banner is over you, when you're raising up a standard for Christ, you are seen as someone identified in Christ. You see as someone who is disciplined in the ways of God. You're seen as an active person pursuing God and confident in who you are. These women in the Song of Songs says, we want to understand why all of a sudden you went from the the blackened, forgotten Shulamite woman to a woman of rare beauty. They wanted to understand that. Because in a moment, she was no longer identified as the slave woman. She was no longer identified as the blackened by the sun scorched woman in the field. In a moment, those women no longer saw her as one of them. They saw her as a rare beauty worthy of the king. Why? She got lost in passion in pursuit of the beloved. That's it. We have got to understand how powerful the love of God is. It's not just that God loves you. It's he invites you into a relationship that will change every dynamic of your life. Well, Kyle, where do I start? Banners flow from a relationship that you're identified in. You see, when the troops went into battle, they raised a banner, and the banner would be the point or the capital place, which is kind of interesting because the beloved identified the woman as, as beautiful as Turs of the capital. The banner would be raised up at the capital place where in the middle of the fight they knew where to go back to because fights get confusing. And believers get lost and lose their way because we try to fight with without ever being identified in the banner of God. We get saved and go backwards because we've never been taught the power of a standard. If we would raise up a standard in our life, we would no longer have confusion about what to say yes to and what to say no to. How do we know what standard that is? By the leading of the Holy Spirit. How are you led by the Holy Spirit? Start talking to Him and have a relationship. The Holy Spirit is not only taught through prophecy and dreams and visions. Sometimes He talks as a still small whisper. Sometimes you're thinking something, and then you see it play out, and you're like, duh. He is so personal that he speaks to all of us in very individual ways. We get saved, and we go backward because we don't live by a standard. When you live according to the standard, it is something that will identify you. And the identity on you is so powerful that I'm about to read something to you that's going to make you go wow. Look at this in Song of Solomon 5-7. through This is the king's response to the woman. Turn your eyes away. They overpower me. I'm just going to stop right there for a second. Now remember, this is, King, this is a illustration of our beloved King Jesus responding to his church. So Jesus, God, looks at a people and says, turn your eyes away, they overpower me. What does that mean? Look, your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep, most of them, (laughs) that are freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Turn your eyes, they overpower me. Why do you think God tells us in John 14, 14, ask anything in my name and I'll do it? The banner that we live under, the standard that we live under is so beautiful to God that he will adorn his bride with whatever we ask because we're asking according to that standard. So when he says, turn your eyes away from me, they're so beautiful. What God is saying is, I want to give you anything you want. That does not mean you pray and get whatever you want. That means when you live according to a standard, everything you want is in line with the standard that he has for you. Therefore, he says yes. And it's so beautiful that he doesn't say 10 years. He says yes, yes. And what we have taught people is pray all day for the thing. That's not what we need to teach people. What we need to teach people, let the Spirit show you where to raise up a banner or a standard in your life so that when you pray, you're actually releasing hidden things or garden realities all around you. And God says, oh, yeah, I want to give you that. I want to give you that. I would even, I am even want to go here. If you ever find yourself praying for something that and you never get it, maybe it's not so much that God is late as much as maybe you're not praying according to a standard. You see, I felt like the Lord wanted me to go here because we're celebrating nine years and all that as a church. But the fact of the matter is, that matters nothing if we don't if we do not follow the Lord's leading in this church with the standard that the Spirit's raising up. And the standard for this house is going to be different from that house, and that house is going to be different from our house, because God has specific purpose for us. And if God has specific purpose for us, we have got to go there no matter what the cost. And the beauty of it is God says, as long as you living according to me, the answer will be yes. Your eyes are too beautiful for me to say no to. He continues up, you see, that's even why in the garden, when Adam Adam was living according to such a standard that when God created everything, what did God tell Adam? You name it. Why did He allow Adam to name it? Because he was living according to standard, the name that Adam spoke would have been the name God thought. The scripture says we are to speak mysteries that are hidden. How do we speak mysteries that are hidden? Out of a place called garden that is hidden by way of living according to a spiritual standard where our desires change to match his. So we start to speak things that haven't been seen. We start to speak things that haven't been experienced. And what those things are are mysteries revealed in a hidden garden according to a standard. Think about it like this. Habakkuk says, write the vision down make it plain. Write the vision down for your life and make it plain. Why? Because that vision is a mystery that I have given you according to living a standard. If you don't live by a standard, you'll never see the vision. You want, you, you want to get real practical with it? You want to get out of the, uh, the, the, the kingdom thing with it? Let's, let's talk about real practicalities. I want to be debt-free. There's a standard. Now set the vision. What's the vision? I want to be debt-free by this date. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to pay that off. I want to be able to buy a house. I want to be able to buy a car. I want to be able to do what, write it down, make it plain, and live according to the, st- to the standard of that vision. That means you no longer have to guess what you say yes and no to because you're saying yes and no according to a standard. That's why he says make the write the vision down, make it plain. You know what I believe is the biggest... Um, from what I've seen in my, in my time in ministry, one of the biggest issues in marriages is that marriages no longer have vision. You're just managing day to day. You want to start going somewhere in your marriage, sit down with your spouse, and write down a vision that God's given both of you. And every decision from here on out is according to the standards, seeing that vision come to pass. Your fights will stop because now you can say, You wrote it. <laughs> he continues on you're beautiful you're flawless you're perfect you're what I want even though the bride just missed out and even though the bride was separated for a moment all he cared about was you're living under a banner and you found me in the garden verse 8 Even among 60 queens, 80 concubines, and countless young women, I would still choose my dove, my perfect one, the favorite of her mother, dearly loved by the one who bore her. The young women see her and praise her, even queens and royal concubines sing her praises. Who is this arising like the dawn, as fair as the moon, as bright as the sun, as majestic as an army with billowing banners? God says you're not only beautiful, but you're preferred among the rest. You see, banners were carried so that the army could be clearly identified. Banners were carried so that the army could be organized in its mission. Banners were carried so that they could see something active indicating something was about to happen. Banners were carried identifying a confident and willing people ready to engage with the enemy. And when we live in that standard, God says, there's my bride, let's go to work. And at the close of this chapter, the bride, the Shulamite woman, is going to meet her beloved in the garden. And this is what she says in verse 11. I went down to the grove of walnut trees, out to the valley to see the new spring growth, to see whether the grapevines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, my strong desires had taken me to the chariot of a noble man. You see, there was spring growth in the garden, great vines budding, pomegranates in bloom. The walnut trees were producing. It was symbolism of the goodness of their relationship being restored. Restored relationship is evident in a people producing the fruit of the Spirit. And if all you produce in your life is bitterness and complaining and meanness, I say, get back to the garden and raise up a banner. Stop blaming people for your bitterness and realize bitterness produced because you are no longer in appropriate relationship with the beloved. Because when you are lost in relationship with a beloved, you can't get bitter about things. You know what that standard says? When you start to feel bitterness, rebuke it and not accept it and come correct rather than blame. All of the desires of this woman took her to the chariot of a nobleman. Some translations actually say prince. That she was lifted up with her king, taken to the chariot. And it's all about bringing her back to relationship. That's all God wants. You see, I think one of the things we missed in churches like this who believe in all the things of the spirit, charismatic expression, if you will, a church that believes in the fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor and the teacher, that believes all those things. I think the thing we get lost in sometimes, we so seek and yearn for manifestations when really manifestation should simply be something we see only because our concern is relationship. We have idolized manifestations of the spirit instead of just rejoicing when they happen. Yeah. And if we idolize manifestations of the Spirit, manifestations of the Spirit actually become religious strongholds. We need to get lost in relationship. That will take us further than we've ever been. The last verse, and I'll close. Has this been good tonight? Yes. Okay. Verse 13. Return. Return to us, O maid of Shulam. Come back, come back, that we may see you again. <clears throat> Why do you stare at this young woman of Shulam as she moves so gracefully between two lines of dancers? Many times, you can leave that up if you don't mind. Many times, when you enter into the garden of God and raise up a banner that identifies you as his, the ones who are not the Lord's who are far from God will try to call you back. And the bridegroom responds, why are you staring at this woman? Why do they try to call people back? Because there's a different standard about you. There's a different identifier on you, and they cannot reconcile the why. And unfortunately, what believers often do is sacrifice the standard of garden realities for relationships of people who don't know your king. When in reality, living in that garden reality and raising up a standard will cause those people to say, I want to find whatever he's got. <clears throat> he tells them why. You find her as beautiful and you can't keep your eyes off her because she's moving gracefully between two lines of dancers. Dancers in the scriptures literally translated dance of Mahinam, meaning the dance of two armies. When Jacob or Israel returned to Jerusalem or the garden, if you will, the place where man and God dwells together, it says in Genesis 32 that Israel, Jacob, entered Mahinam, the place of two camps of angels. And here, the Shulamite woman is moving gracefully between two lines of dancers, or two camps of angels. See, your witness and your testimony is people watching as you move back to the place where God dwells, where even angels celebrate. Some theologians will even argue that the two camps of angels representing two armies of angels battling—angels and demons. So what is the celebration? Watch as my beloved moves gracefully in all the battles and trials of life. How does she move through lines of angels and demons? Because she's moving according to a standard. No whisper wins her. Only the voice of God. Did you know that the scriptures say that angels go to battle according to the word? You know what that means? In the trials of life, when you start to pray, speak, and move by word, the demons that are trying to get you are fighting with angels that just heard your word. How do you win battles? The word of God. The answer for the battle is simply this. Realign your thinking. I am welcome in the garden. I will raise up a standard. His banner will be when I'm identified in this world. When my husband looks at me, he's going to see God. When my wife looks at me, she's going to see God. When my mother or father looks at me, they're going to see God. When my coworkers, when my, when my employees look at me, they're going to see God. That is the standard. And when we start to live by that, that's when revival is going to flood the streets. How do you engage battles and walk in victory? Simply walk in a restored relationship. See, I'll close with this. We think victory and warfare is yelling and praying all day. Can I just say something to you? The, the loudness of your voice does not shake the knees of the enemy. You, you, know, you know what messes up the enemy? He cannot, I don't even know where I'm going here. The enemy cannot curse a blessed thing. So he's, you know what the enemy is trying to do? He's trying to whisper things to take you out of a blessed place. So when you're walking in a blessed place, a blessed place in life, because you're walking according to a standard, you're walking in garden realities, the enemy doesn't try to curse the area. He tries to get you out of the blessing. Think about Genesis, Genesis, the, 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 the snake. He couldn't curse the garden. But he whispered ideas as to why the garden wasn't enough. And it caused him to move out of their blessed place. When we live according to the standard of God, we only move in places that the enemy can't touch. That's how you win battles. That's how you gain victory. It's not I have to put a certain amount of music on all day. It's not I have to say a certain number of prayers It's I'm lost in relationship with my beloved. And when I'm living according to that relationship, the enemy does not stand a chance. Do you find it funny that the enemy whispered to Adam and Eve when they are walking away from steps with God? Because he tries to whisper places to where you're walking outside of the step. Gardens and banners. Heaven is everywhere. Everywhere. Do we dare to believe it? Do we dare to steward our lives according to the standard of heaven? Do we dare to say when we go downtown, we don't see drunkenness and homosexuals? We don't see uh, uh, drug activity. We don't see um, manipulators. Do we dare to say when we go downtown, we see the Garden of Eden that needs cultivating? When you see your prodigal sons and daughters who are not coming home, do you see prodigals or, 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 or are you preparing the return feast? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Banners and gardens. He wants you to raise up a standard. Yeah. Let's start doing it. Amen.